This is Herb Montgomery with Renewed Heart Ministries, and I want to welcome you to episode 208 of the Jesus for Everyone podcast. Our title this week is Free from Anxiety Like Ravens and Lilies. Our feature text is Sang's Gospel Q 12, 22 through 31. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you are to eat, nor about your body with what you are to clothe yourself. It is is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet God feeds them. Are you not better than the birds? And who of you, by being anxious, is able to add to one's stature a cubit? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Observe the lilies, how they grow. They do not work, nor do they spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these." But in, if in the field the grass is there today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, God clothes thus, will he not much more clothe you, persons of petty faith? So do not be anxious, saying, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Father knows that you need them all. But seek his kingdom, and all these things shall be granted to you. Our companion text this week, Matthew six twenty five through 33, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Or why do you worry about clothes? See how the f- the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his, gl- his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, uh, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Luke 12, 22-31, then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food, the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, for they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than the birds? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the Wild flowers grow, they do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink, and do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and all these things will be added to you as well. And lastly, the Gospel of Thomas uh, 36, 1, 4, and 2 through 3, Jesus said, Do not fret from morning to evening and from evening to morning about your food, what you're going to eat, or about your clothing, what you're going to wear. You're much better than the lilies, and which neither card nor spin. As for you, when you have no garment, what will you put on? Who might add to your stature? 
that very one will give you your garment. We can best understand this week's saying by looking at an interesting detail, I think, in Luke's version of this saying. At the very beginning of this discourse in Luke, we read, and this is Luke 12, 13, and 14, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. In Jesus's audience, there's a man arguing with his brother over their inheritance from their father. And one brother asks for Jesus to speak to the other brother on his behalf. And Jesus flatly refuses to arbitrate between them. Remember, arguments over inheritances, they aren't common among the poor or the lower middle class. These are problems that exist among the affluent. And my, my own mother passed away in 2014. And she was a a typical Appalachian woman with nothing. And I remember having to sort through mail and having to, to speak with creditors. There was no inheritance to try and, and figure out. There was only uh, mounds of debt to be cleared or, or to be written off. And Jesus didn't see settling disputes between the rich as his purpose. He didn't come as a prophet of the rich. He was a prophet of the poor, and he called his audience to solidarity with the poor. One example of this is Jesus's call for the rich to sell everything and, and give it to the poor. It, 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 Jesus gave a call for, for radical wealth redistribution, and it's possible that those who heard Jesus uh, teach, they believed that there would not be enough for everyone if they actually did share. And this is a narrative of scarcity. It leads people to feel anxious uh, about the future and, and to be preoccupied in the present with accumulating as much as they can, thinking that what they accumulate will insulate them from any negative future event. And, and, and accumulating resources and anxiety, it can grow into the drive to monopolize resources, to exploit others, um, as well as their resources, and, and to uphold this exploitation then through violence. And this is what we see taking place in much of the world today. However, we label this narrative we have to learn to recognize it for what it is. It's a narrative of scarcity. And Jesus, to the contrary, he taught a different narrative. He taught a narrative more like the one Gandhi later taught, that every day the earth produces enough for each person's need, but not each person's greed. Jesus called us to embrace a, a narrative of enough or abundance. Uh, the, it's the belief that, that uh, the, there is, is truly enough to share. This sharing, then, it'll replace anxiety with gratitude and, and generosity and connectedness and community and, and hospitality. And rather than monopolies and exploitation, uh, abundance brings distributive justice, and, and it replaces violence, then, uh, with peace. So let, let's look at this week's saying again with these two narratives in mind. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're to eat, nor about your body, with what you're to clothe yourself. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet God feeds them. Are you not better than the birds? And who of you, by being anxious, is able to add to one, stat one stature a cubit? Why are you anxious about clothing? Observe the lilies, how they grow. They do not work, nor do they spin. 
Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if in the field the grass, there today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, God, God clothes thus, will he not much more clothe you, persons of petty faith? So do not be anxious, saying, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear? For all these things the Gentiles seek, for your Father knows that you need them all, but seek his kingdom, and all these things shall be granted to you. Jesus's kingdom, or the reign of God, was Jesus's way of using the language of his own time and his own culture uh, to share his social vision uh, of, uh, and remember Jesus was was a Jew. It was his way of sharing a, his social vision within a Jewish context of people taking care of each other. James N. Robinson reminds us in, in his book, The Gospel of Jesus, this is why the beggars, the hungry, and the depressed are fortunate, or as we find in Luke 6, they're, they're called blessed. Um, but, but James uses the word fortunate. God, that is, those in whom God rules, those who hearken to God, will care for them. The needy are called upon to trust that God's reigning is there for them. Theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus's message was simple. He wanted to cut straight to through to the point, trust God to look out for you by providing people who will care for you and listen to him when he calls on you to provide for them. This is what Peter Kropotkin also referred to as mutual aid in his book, uh, 19th century book, uh, Mutual Aid, A Factor of Evolution. Fascinating book. Peter Kropotkin was a, a, a an atheist, anarchist, communist, but he found that that this social vision and he wouldn't put it in these words but the same social vision that Jesus was casting before his listeners is actually the way nature uh, thrives it's it's when nature survives and and thrives is when it follows this principle he goes on he says while Dar- this is in his book again mutual aid a factor of evolution while darwin was chiefly using the term and he's talking about survival of the fittest in its narrow sense for his own special purpose he warned his followers against committing the error which he seems to have once committed himself of overrating its narrow meaning. In The Descent of Man, he gave some powerful passages to illustrate its proper wide sense. He pointed out how in numberless animal societies, the struggle between separate individuals for the means of existence disappears, how struggle is replaced by cooperation, and how that substitution results in the development of intellectual and moral faculties which secure to the species the best conditions for survival. He intimated that in such cases the fittest are not the physically strongest, nor the cunningest, but those who learn to combine so as to mutually support uh, each other the strong and the weak alike, for the welfare of the community. Those communities, he wrote, which include the greatest number of most sympathetic members, would flourish best and rear the greatest number of offspring. The term which originated from the narrow Malthusian uh, conception of competition between each and all, thus lost its narrowness in the mind of the one who knew nature. So he's saying that the fittest, when talking about survival of the fittest within an evolutionary context, the fittest are not necessarily the strongest. Uh, the fittest are not where the strong prey on the weak. The fittest are where the strong take care. The, the species that are the fittest are the ones where the strong take care of the weak, where uh, resources are, are distributed in a just way and, and where uh, uh, 
mutual aid is practiced or, or resource sharing where we take care of one another. In the New Testament book of James, the writer comments on Jesus's teachings in the Sermon on the Mount and the narrative of anxiety that leads to exploiting others. In James 2, 6-7, we find, but you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? And like the Gospels do, James gives a scathing prophetic announcement to those who who live by that old narrative of scarcity and accumulation. In James 1, 9-11, we read, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower, for the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Even in 1 Timothy, uh, which is believed to have been written quite a bit later than than the book of James, there's a call away from the narrative of scarcity, anxiety, and an individualistic trust in one's own accumulated wealth uh, to insulate them from from future harm. In in 1 Timothy 6.17, it says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their trust in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And remember, in the early Jesus community, putting one's hope or trust in God, according to the the Jesus Sayings Gospel Q, it meant trusting God enough that God would send people to take care of you as you share what you've accumulated with those God calls you to give to today. And this, again, is from James Robinson's book, The Gospel of Jesus. We refer to this book so much. I think that that we should make this one of our our book of the months for the Renewed Heart Ministries annual reading uh, course. Um, maybe we will later this year. It's an excellent book. But but James goes on and writes, uh, James Robinson goes on and writes, Ravens and lilies do not seem to focus their attention on satisfying their own needs in order to survive. And yet God sees to it that they prosper. Sparrows are sold a dime a dozen, and one might say, who cares? God cares. Even about the tiniest things, he knows exactly how many hairs are on your head. So God will not give a stone when asked for bread or a snake when asked for fish, but can be counted on to give you what you really need. You can trust him to know what you need even before you ask. This utopian vision of a caring God was the core of what Jesus had to say and what he himself put into practice. It was both good news and reassurance that in your actual experience, good would happen to mitigate your plight and the call upon you to do the same toward same good toward others in actual practice. This radical trust in and responsiveness to God is what makes society function as God's society. This was for Jesus what faith and relationship or discipleship were all about. As a result, nothing else had the right to claim any functional relationship to him. Jesus sought to focus attention on trusting God for today's ration of life and on hearing God's call to give now a better life to neighbors. And so you had this reciprocation. You trusted that God would take care of you. 
so that you would today be the one that's taking care of others, and that, that God would work through you to take care of others. And all the while, that trust in God to take care of you in the future was really uh, a trust in, in uh, uh, God to send people to take care of you, which requires that, that third element of people listening and people engaging. And we set that in motion by being the person that's listening and engaging and, and, and sharing ourselves uh, today. James goes on and says, all of this is far from today's Christianity as it was from the Judaism of Jesus's day. Christians all too often simply venerate the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and let it go at that. But Jesus himself made no claim to lofty titles or even to divinity. Indeed, to him, a devout Jew claiming to be God would have seemed blasphemous. He claimed only that God spoke and acted through him. And that's what Jesus is calling uh, in his uh, gospels for his audience to do as well, to let the reign of God work through them and being the people that are taking care of others, knowing that we're setting in motion a human community that will also take care of us uh, when we're in need. And this is the vision that Jesus cast before his listeners of what human society could look like, people taking care of people. In Jesus's theological language, again, that was God taking care of people through people. And it's through us, through our choice to be compassionate or to just turn away, that we determine one another's fate. We have a choice to make. Uh, will we care for someone today, trusting that someone will care for us tomorrow if we have a need? That's the real question. And seeking first the kingdom, it's not seeking an artificial quid pro quo where if I help people, I expect God to supernaturally bless me. This isn't the prosperity gospel. This is a more intrinsic kind of a, uh, as I take care of others when, when they need care, I'm setting in motion a world where I'll have folks that, that take care of me if I need care. And like we discussed last week, uh, I'm, I'm investing in people today. That, that's my choice. And, and, and that I hope, and I believe will intrinsically create a reality where others will share all these things, quote unquote, with me if I experience a crisis. Jesus' teachings, uh, it means the creation of a human society in which we change the nature of the world we live in, where we, we care and, 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 and where cooperation solves the dilemmas of survival rather than competition and domination and subjugation and exploitation. And this world is not based on a win-lose closed system. It's a win-win where we learn to be each other's keeper. Our world is what we collectively choose to make it. And for my part, I'm choosing this week compassion. And therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you're to eat, nor about your body, what you're to clothe yourself with. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet God feeds them. Are you not better than the birds? And who of you, by being anxious, is able to add to one stature a cubit? Why are you so anxious about your clothing? Observe the lilies, how they grow. They do not work, nor do they spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if in the field the grass, there today and tomorrow thrown into the other oven, God clothes thus, Will he not much more clothe you, persons of petty faith? So do not be anxious, saying, But what are we to eat, and what are we to drink, and what are we to wear? All these things the Gentiles seek, for your Father knows that you need them all. Seek his kingdom. And remember, that's people taking care of people. 
and all these things shall be granted to you. Heart group application. This week, I'd like you to sit down with your heart group and compile a list of needs and abilities that exist uh, among you. And here's how to do it. Number one, divide a piece of paper into two columns. And number two, go around the room and list the needs that the members of your group that they presently have right now in one column. Then number three, next I want you to list in the second column, go through your group and and list the abilities and talents that people in the room have. And then number four, start drawing lines between the two columns. Link the needs uh, and the group's members' abilities uh, together to, to help take care of those needs. And as you do this exercise, not all the needs will be met, but some of them will, and 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 we'll become aware of the needs that are within the group, and, and we'll discover ways to meet those needs as we do this. So e- each group is a microcosm of a world where everyone contributes and everyone's needs are being met. It's it's people taking responsibility for one another. It's, it's people taking care of people. And, and once you begin engaging your heart group in this practical, tangible way, it also becomes really fun. So Jesus' solution, again, to the challenges that we face uh, it's each one of us. That's his solution. It's us. Jesus's hope for our world is us. So thanks for checking in with us this week. And I want to also take this opportunity to thank all of you who uh, once again are, are supporting the work of Renewed Heart Ministries. It's it's people like yourself that 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 enable us to exist and and to do these things, to, to to engage in this work, to be a positive resource in our our world and in the work of survival and resistance and liberation and restoration and and transformation. We have a new Who Is RHM page up on. Uh, uh, um, uh, the Renewed Heart Ministries website, some new information. If you're unfamiliar with us, you can check us out there at renewedheartministries.com. Uh, um, in short, we're a not-for-profit group that that's passionate about centering a set of values and ethics and the experiences of those on the undersides and edges of our societies and, and, and a group of ethics that are informed by by the sayings and teachings of the historical Jewish Jesus of Nazareth. And everything we do here at Renewed Heart Ministries is done with the purpose of trying to make all of these resources as free as possible. And to do that, we need the help of people like yourself. If you'd like to support the work of Renewed Heart Ministries, you can make a one-time gift uh, by going to our website, uh, renewedheartministries.com, and clicking on the Donate tab at the top right of our homepage. Or you can become one of our monthly contributors as well, doing the same way. Uh, you can also, if you prefer to do it through the mail, you can mail a contribution to Renewed Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 1211, Lewisburg, West Virginia, 24901. And and make sure, not, not just to support us, but to s- sign up for all of our free resources on our website. We have a, a monthly newsletter, we have these weekly articles and podcasts, and there's just a ton of stuff on there. There's daily stuff that goes out, there's stuff that happens on our Facebook page, there's stuff that happens through our Twitter account. Um, just sign up and, and keep in touch touch uh, with us through those means too. And remember, everything we're doing here is absolutely for free and every little bit of support helps. And and anything that we receive over and above our annual budget, uh, each year we pass on to other not-for-profits that are making both systemic and personal differences in the lives of those left pr- less privileged uh, within our status quo. And for again, for all of those who, of you who are supporting our work, Thank you, thank you, thank you. I just can't thank you enough. Together, we are making a difference, making our world a safer, more just, more compassionate home for us all. So keep living in love, keep living in survival. 
resistance, liberation, restoration, and transformation. And remember, I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Thank you.